For those of you who have been around for a few, at least a few weeks now, actually, when was it, Sharon? I think we started this series six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. We've been working on this uh, series of, I would call it true empowerment, of giving people the tools, the means, the encouragement, and some of the inspiration necessary to really remake our lives into something that we really want to live, something perhaps more powerful, more loving, more joyous. And, uh, and I, think, I think, Sharon, I think I was the one that made the bold promise six or seven weeks ago, and we can accomplish it. So here I am today at the end of this series to ask you, so is your life better? Is there a perfection now that you're beginning to experience more of? Did you float in on a cloud or a, or a limousine, as the case may be? Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit to those people that are maybe not experiencing the fullness of life, despite the promises. Those people who are maybe doing the prayers and doing the meditation and still running across these uh, embarrassing little things called facts now and then. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like we do the prayer around abundance and you know something comes in the mail that's written in red ink. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or we're doing some meditations around love and goodness and then we have a big fight with uh, you know, a child or a mother-in-law or something like that. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about some of those inconvenient facts that would appear to be right in the middle of us experiencing the life that we really want to live. And so to, to lead out here, um, I have some facts. You know, you know me, I, I often like to start off with a joke, and I'm not so sure that this is a joke. It kind of scared me in places, but, but nonetheless, this is a series of facts about Americans. Now, you know, all of those uh, polls, those Pew Research polls and all those things that ask any number of crazy questions to find out what people think and what people believe. So, so this is uh, extracted, if you will, from that. And I got to say, there's good news and bad news. The good news was so many of them really portrayed Americans as loving and giving and honorable and sweet. And, and of course, I'm only going to quote a couple of those because I wanted to get into the dirt. So uh, but let's, uh, let's, uh, let's start out with the fun ones. So 35% of Americans give to charity at least once a month. 20% of Americans consider their parents to be their best friends. Is that sweet? And, and, and this one, it surprised me. But, you know, I'm doing a wedding in a couple weeks, and this is the thing that still makes me, despite all the divorces and breakups and things like that, it's statements like this that me, really allow me to know that marriage is still a sacred institution. 75% of Americans would not think of being unfaithful to their spouse or partner even for a million dollars. Is that cool? That is so cool. Okay, now those are some of the good ones. Let me move on to some of the more questionable or interesting facts about Americans. 21% of Americans do not make their beds daily. 5% never do. 13% admit to doing their children's homework. 27% of Americans admit to cheating on a test or a quiz. 29% of Americans admit that they've intentionally taken something from a store without paying. That's 30%, one in three almost. 50% admit they regularly sneak food into movie theaters to avoid the high prices of... Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. I'm thinking about that one. Uh-oh, is it guilty as charged? Fair enough. 13% of Americans have spent a night in jail. 
58% of Americans have called in to work sick when they really weren't. Now this one, this one I think is interesting because I think my mom was one of these people. 10% of Americans switch tags in the store so that they can still get the sales price. <laughs> and this next one, I gotta tell you, this is really disturbing. Assuming that you live with someone else in your house, consider this. Over 50% Americans, when no one else is around, drink straight out of the carton. <laughs> consider that. All right. So now I'm going to wind this up with a few more serious thoughts here. And this one I think is interesting. We're down to only 10% of Americans believe in the Ten Commandments as a moral code to live by. That's curious, don't you think? And yet, 90% of Americans believe in divine retribution. Now, we don't here. I want to be really clear about that. We do not believe that God is there to somehow judge us or punish us in an afterlife or something like that. We absolutely believe that as soon as we change our own behaviors and our own thoughts, you know, God is here to forgive. God is a God of love and forgiveness. So, so we're not about this divine retribution thing. But yet 90% of Americans do believe that they will be judged by God on their behaviors, their thoughts, and their actions. And 82% of Americans absolutely believe in an afterlife. Now, I've got to tell you, think about this for a minute. If all of these bad things are going on out in America and 90% believe in divine retribution, what's the afterlife going to be like? <laughs> okay, not pleasant. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about these so-called facts today. You know, we've been working from this premise that if we put our mind absolutely in an intentional way to affirming for ourselves the good life. And by the good life, let me elaborate just a little bit, a life full of joy, a life full of abundance, a life of relationships that are full of love and honoring, a, a life where our job is meaningful and where our, our home life is, uh, is sweet to be in, where every morning we wake up with a spring in our step looking forward to the day. This is what we've been working on, crafting in our own minds, to build a new life for ourselves, very intentionally, almost like an architect designing a new home for them to live in for all eternity. Well, I've got to tell you, most architects, when they come into the construction zone, about halfway through, they're going to spot some facts that don't look too good. They'll see the subflooring going down in this big creaky place, Right? where one of the floor joists isn't as straight as it should be. They're going to notice that some of the wiring maybe wasn't done in the way that it should be and, and anticipating a, a, a hair dryers uh, causing the circuit breakers to blow and things like that. Now I've got to tell you, if you were the architect, would you have them tear the whole house down and start over? Probably not. Why would you, right? It was the, the design of the home that you wanted, and that's moving forward. Rather, you might replace that one joist. You might have the electrician go back and add in one more circuit, right? You would do some fine-tuning. But how often in our lives do we just give up? And let me illustrate. 
how often, if maybe we're working very intentionally in our own life on loving relationships, and you know we have the occasion to meet one of those people that's maybe a little trickier to love than other people, do we just give up? Do we simply say, well, I guess this is the way it's always going to be with my son. We're just doomed to having a rotten relationship together. Many of us do. Many of us, even though our intentions are good, in the face of a fact or two that are upsetting, right? In the face of maybe one or two overdue bills in the mail, we're so apt to conclude, you know, I'm just never going to be able to get this student loan paid off. I'm just never going to be able to afford that new car. I'm just never going to be able to live the life I want to lead. And we're very quick. Here are the facts, right? Here's the overdue notice that shows my money isn't where I'd like to be, even though I've been praying for abundance, even though I've been doing affirmations for abundance, even though in my heart I've been really working on feeling abundant, feeling the richness of life. It's like, look at this. Here's the evidence that shows it's not working out. So I just give up. I'm just going to accept that life is the way it comes to me and I'm not even going to try this anymore. Well, now an architect of a home would never do that. They would just replace the joist. They would just have the electrician put in another circuit. And that is what I want to talk today. Of course, there are facts in our life that contradict life the way we'd like to be living it. This is not the cause for throwing in the towel. This is not the time to say, oh, all of this positive thinking, all of these prayers, all of these intentions for good are just not working out. Let's not go there. I also want to say today, clearly though, that facts are important. And Ernest Holmes, the founder of the Science of Mind, had to say this about the idea of facts. We must always be honest with ourselves. We must never deny the testimony of our senses or doubt the veracity of our thought. The facts of our experience truly are real enough. In our approach to and use of spiritual means, we do not fool ourselves by saying that no one's ill or that no condition is unpleasant, that the bank account is not low or that nothing needs attention. And he goes on to saying that in some ways these unpleasant facts, these inconvenient little truths that happen in our lives are good for us. They're good for us in that they point the signpost to remedial action. Do you know what I mean? So that if we're praying, we're really knowing in our own heart that what we want is a loving relationship and we have a real knockdown, drag out fight with someone we care about. This is like a bell that's been rung. This is the wake up call that says, oh my gosh, here's what I want and here's what just happened. And in that sense, this is you as the architect of your life going to the job site and saying, well, let's see how this is going. Oh my gosh, here was an overdue bill or here was a, you know, a fight that I had with someone that I care about. Now is the time to come into complete resolve around what I want to experience instead. This is the reminder that I'm on the path of perfection, but it's a path. 
It's not a destination, right? It's not a vacation that you go to. It's a path that we're on that we have to pay attention to. And so from that perspective, an unpleasant fact, an an inconvenient truth, is really a wake-up call. And we can look at it from that perspective of, this is good news. It knows I'm paying attention. It knows that I'm recognizing something is not going the way that I choose to have it in my life. And so I will redouble my efforts at knowing a greater truth for myself and the people I love. Ernest Holmes also goes on to say that we have three very direct ways that we can approach these facts that show up in our life, these things that would seem to contradict what we know about ourselves. And to use this, these three methods, I'm going to resort to a bit of hocus-pocus today. And in fact, for those of you who may be listening later in on a CD or a, a podcast, what I'm bringing out here is a mirror. And you'll notice that this mirror to start with is, oh, and I'm trying not to blind somebody here, but uh, except for you, surely. No, I'm kidding. Um, but what you'll notice is this mirror is completely clear and clean right now. And you might think that this represents our spiritual self. One of the beliefs in science of mind is that we're born into this world in a very pure spiritual sense. We don't believe in any of that original sin. We don't believe that we're born as miserable sinners or something like that. What we know about the human soul is that each of us has the full capacity from birth for complete love, for complete joy, for complete happiness, for complete cont- uh, contentment, for, for anything that we could ever want to experience on this planet, each of us is born with the capability of that. Our slate is complete and clear. And then I would suggest to us what happens along the way is we begin filling this up with ideas. I want to suggest in the beginning, that these ideas aren't even ours. Some of them are good, some of them are awkward, but at the very beginning, most of them come from our parents and loved ones and teachers and things like that. And I want to share with just a few of the things that have ended up on my mirror, my, my, uh, my self-perception, if you will, the facts as I have grown to see them over the years. And I will admit, are in a little bit of dispute, and we're going to talk about this today. So I still remember in high school choir, when the choir master said, Larry, you're never going to be much of a singer. That was a little hard to take since I had just... uh, just signed up for choir, right? And it was a three-credit class. <laughs> and, in fact, he <laughs> and in fact, he kind of further elaborated. He said, but you have such a lovely smile. We'll put you in the back row. <laughs> and if you would kind of smile as you're pretending to sing, it will be a really good thing. <laughs> All right. Another thing I will share with you that was said even at a younger age, and this was when, um, you know how kids kind of go from the coloring book stage to the stage where they'll just take a a blank piece of paper and just kind of have fun with it in crayons and whatnot. And I remember I was having a sleepover with my grandparents, and I distinctly remember the one saying to the other, I guess we'll just get used to the way Larry draws. (laughs) 
Now that might, you know, be a polite way of something some more sinister. At the time, I didn't think much about it. But, you know, years later, I'm going, what they were saying was, I'm not very good at this. Then I'll share something way more recent than this, something that uh, some of you may have shared with. If you're, if you're going to take Lynn's class and you're, and you're in your middle years as I am, this might even be something that's happened to you. So um, I often say that I retired from the telephone company about 15 years ago. That's a little bit of a euphemism by being um, laid off with benefits. And, and as part of being laid off, the telephone company, you know, is going through one of those uh, weird times when you know, we'll, we'll leave off half of the expensive people and hire, you know, 10,000 more new ones on that we don't have to pay as much. And, and I remember them, but they were a little classy about it, right? They actually had an employment counselor that came and counseled with each of us. And the, <laughs> now this, believe it or not, this is my employment counselor. She said, at your age... <laughs> You can't expect too much. Okay, so here, if you will, here are three potential facts about me. Here are three potential ideas that certainly were floating through my mind at one time or another and verified, if you will, by independent, uh, <laughs> independent means, the people who said them, right? Ernest Holmes says we can use three very powerful tools for dealing with things like this. If things like this are interfering with your experience of life, if things like this are interfering with your sense of joy, of, uh, if they're interfering with your abundance or the way you show up in relationships and with people, we have three very powerful tools we can use. The first one, he said, is simply called affirmation. And you can take any one of these kinds of facts, if you will, and simply affirm a greater truth about yourself. So let's take the first one here. Um, actually, let's take the second one. We'll get used to the way Larry draws. Now, a good affirmation to kind of counter the sort of negative uh, idea of this would simply be to say, I am fully creative and wonderful in my means of expression in all forms. Do you know what I mean? What I know is that, sure, I may not be, um, you know, um, a famous uh, art director or something like that, but I'm absolutely adequate, more than adequate in my creative abilities. And an affirmation is kind of like just taking the thing that's there and writing really big and powerfully over it. And so we could just use the biggest felt marker we can find in our head, of course, and write over something like, uh, we'll get used to the way Larry draws, and instead... We say, I am fully creative. I am capable of expressing myself in all creative means. Do you know what I mean? So that would be the idea of an affirmation. The second tool that Ernest Holmes says is the idea of a denial. Now, in particular, if you think about, a lot of these things have been planted in our heads, and they're not even ours. When was the first time that something struck you in your own mind, something probably a little on the negative side, like uh, maybe something like, you'll never amount to much, or um, uh, um, I, guess, uh, I guess relationships are just always tough, and I should get used to it. You know what? I want to suggest that someone else said this to you. 
Statements like that very, very seldom come to our mind unbidden. And the idea of a denial is just to say, that's crazy, that doesn't describe me. That, if it wants to be the truth for whoever said it, okay. If my grandparents have a specific idea of what you need to be as at four years old in terms of drawing and creative, let them believe that. I can simply deny it. I can simply say, this isn't true for me. And certainly in the area of that choir director when I was in high school, I mean, my gosh, the guy was like 70 years old when I took choir. You know, I'm living proof that I'm still singing in the choir. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I mean, in a very real sense, I've outlived him even. But, uh, but what I want to suggest is, if it's someone else's opinion of you, just deny it. It has no weight in your life. It's like, who cares what they think? Let it be their experience in life. If people past 50 have a difficult getting a job, let it be their experience of life if they say, this is the hardest job market we've ever been in and you're really going to have trouble. It's like, well, all right for you. (laughs) But what I know about me is that I'm employable. I'm lovable. I'm worthwhile. I'm a great employee. And any company in the planet would be lucky to get me. And so a denial is simply flatly refusing to accept what someone else has set up for you to be a fake fact, if you will. Do you know what I mean? Because people are always pitching things at you as though they're truth, and the reality is they're an opinion. And we can refute those easily and effortlessly. And in my little uh, 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 prop here, I would say doing a denial is just like erasing it. So I'm going to take the one about uh, the choir directing saying, I'm never going to be much of a singer, and just say, says who? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, fine. If he wants to believe that about someone who's young and who hasn't had much voice training, poof, what do I care? All right. On to the third way. And this one I think is interesting and very powerful because it gets back to our very nature of spiritual beings. Ernest Holmes says that a third way of doing what's necessary to to get through the inconvenient facts of life is the idea of a realization. And by realization, he means to really get back to the primary nature of you as a spiritual being. And in a sense, what he's saying is, if we do this, we can just start with a fresh slate again. We can look into our own hearts in a very palpable way and say, no, there is nothing on this planet, in this world, no circumstance, no event, no person pronouncing that can take away love from me that can take away my own sense of importance, that can take away anything that I was born with. The love that I was born with is still there. My capacity for joy and the sweetness of life that I was born with is still there. My ability to be in relationships that are loving and good, it is still there. My capability of having the abundant life and experiencing life in all of its richness is still there there. This is the realization, if you will, of who we were born to be. This is the realization that no matter what other people say and no matter what life events we have experienced, today is a brand new day. 
I'm starting fresh, I'm claiming my good, and I'm knowing that the full heritage of my spiritual being is backing me up. This is that realization, if you will, that can blow away the whole enchilada, that whole idea of maybe not, I'm just not good enough in one way or another by getting back to the basics of who we are spiritually. Spiritually, each one of us is as perfect as the day we were born. There is no original sin, right? There is no born into, you know, hostage or somehow I have to do everything always right or I'll never, you know, that divine retribution that we talked about. It's not real. You can claim your goodness on this planet because that's how you were born. That's the basis of everything. And anything that conflicts with that has just been trying to obscure the truth of you. So I'd like to close today with another quote from this great book. Here's what Ernest Holmes talks about life and this idea of now and then having to do this little fine-tuning, right? We're going to be the architects of our life. We're going to have a plan for what we want to experience. And when inconvenient facts come up, Here's what he says. He says, Remember that life is the great experiment to see how we may, through whatever method we use, more completely convince ourselves that there is a divine and perfect pattern at the center of our very spiritual being. Also, to know that the law acting upon our word and our thoughts will remove any obstruction until that which was already there is fully revealed again. Our word projects new conditions even as it created the old ones. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call life. And what I know about life is that it is that fullness, that richness, that goodness, that sweetness, that all good things are in infinite supply in this thing called God. I know, above all, that this means me, that my life and my abilities, that my goodness is part of that infinite supply of the eternal universe. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person here. Each person here has the fullness of life available to them. Each person here on this day and each day forward has a greater realization of truly the goodness that they were born with that each person here finds it easy whether it's making denials or affirmations to truly step in to our place of power to use the word within us that is creative that each person here has the power and the means to express their good to claim their good and to enjoy their good. And I'm simply grateful for this. I'm simply grateful for the power and the presence of God as it, as it just is brought forth and the people here in this room and beyond. I'm grateful for the presence of God and its infinity of good. I simply release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So thank you for being here. So glad you're here today. Thank you.